Talking about Bentham and the hedonic calculus of his utilitarianism, I stress the historical background of his thoughts as well. It seems to me that Bentham was being very practical. His primary objective was to reform the legal system to stop irrational and merely spiteful punishments. This past week, I was reading Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, and the, the character Valjean explains that in 1795, he lost his work as a tree cutter. At the time, he was looking after his sister, whose husband had died, and her seven children. Out of work, with no food in the house, he tried to steal a loaf of bread, but was caught and sent to prison for twenty years. Now, at last, he was free, but he felt bitter and angry about his lost years. The world had been unfair to him, and he wanted revenge. Well, how would Bentham calculate these events and justice? The pain of twenty years of prison, leaving a family of eight without support of any kind, to face starvation and begging, versus the pain a baker may have felt from losing a loaf of bread, perhaps a cost of a few pennies. How would you calculate it? Now, there is a point to punishment, but it should serve only as a deterrent. Punishments should be proportionate to the gravity of the offense. Bentham was not striving to create an ethical theory, although the line of thought he develops takes us in that direction. His fundamental assumption was, and I, I quote here, Nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. It is for them alone to point out what we ought to do, as well as what we shall do. End of quote. In short, we may say that pain is the only evil thing and pleasure is the only good. But this idea has two layers to consider. If we think only about the acts involved, an act is right and good if it produces pleasure. It's wrong or evil if it produces pain. But the idea of production means that we need to think about the results of the action. That is, about the consequences. We must evaluate the consequences, and the rightness or the wrongness of an act will be determined by those calculations or evaluations. Morality should be aimed at reducing pain and suffering and increasing happiness or pleasure, because all human beings bow to the master of pain and pleasure. This principle is universal. It applies through all time to all races and genders. It ignores all religious biases and personal whims. It may even seem to be scientific. Look, just do the math and evaluate. Of course, this hedonic calculus might be a tricky area. We all take different levels of pleasure or pain from things we do or experience. It's impossible to quantify these hedon units. And Bentham knows this challenge, but it's, look, in practice, we do these calculations anyway, all the time. Just for example, I endured the pain of dental root canals knowing that there would be pleasure from having proper teeth instead of dentures years down the road. I have no right or authority to tell you what degree of pleasure you ought to obtain from something. We're all different. Bentham knows that. Doesn't want to get involved. Bentham's hedonic calculus was attacked by many people for suggesting that all pleasures were equal. His position was mocked for being a pig philosophy. A person who acted like a pig and happily wallowed in the mud of life would be a better person, would have attained a higher moral state than Socrates, who was dissatisfied with life. In other words, 
it might be better to be a pig than Socrates. What do you think? The defense of utilitarianism and its application to legal reform was best carried out by John Stuart Mill. John Stuart Mill was born in 1806 to James Mill, who was a close friend and associate of Bentham. John Stuart Mill was surrounded by Benthamites and utilitarians all his life. He died in 1873. John Stuart Mill thought that this pig's life argument had some force and needed to be answered. Mill's answer to this attack was to distinguish between two types of pleasure. We have basic physical pleasures, sensual pleasures, food, drink, sex, etc. These pleasures are powerful and immediate, but, but they vanish. They're transient. Moreover, overindulgence in these pleasures leads to pains. In contrast, there are pleasures, higher pleasures, which persist through time. These pleasures do not lead us to pain, but instead to a general sense of well-being or happiness, which is expressed by the Greek word eudaimonia. For Greek philosophers, eudaimonia carries a sense of being fortunate or being fulfilled and complete. The wise man Solon once said, do not count anyone happy, do not count anyone eudaimon until they're dead. In this Greek sense, happiness or eudaimonia is a, a state of being, a durative state. Mill called his approach eudaimonistic utilitarianism. Lower pleasures have a role to play in life. Certainly, they're very important. But they are the pleasures that a pig would indulge in. We as human beings can and must aspire to something higher. Humans want, in fact, we need friendship and conversation, for example. Our happiness is greater when we develop the higher pleasures which we derive from art, culture, wisdom, knowledge, creativity, love, health, etc. As he, he says in his essay that we read, a state of exalted pleasure lasts only moments, or in some cases, and with some intermissions, hours or days, and is the occasional brilliant flash of enjoyment, not its permanent and steady flame. Of this, the philosophers who have taught that happiness is the end of life were as fully aware as those who taught them. The happiness which they meant was not a life of rapture, but moments of such, in an existence made up of few and transitory pains, many and various pleasures, with a decided predominance of the active over the passive, and having as the foundation of the whole not to expect more from life than it is capable of bestowing. A life thus composed, to those who have been fortunate enough to obtain it, has always appeared worthy of the name happiness. Well, that was a big mouthful from Mill. So I just want to restate some of these ideas from a different angle. Mill is expanding the utilitarian idea to encompass not merely pleasures, but the whole of life. The pleasures that Bentham was talking about 
are usually sensations, transient sensations. Happiness is not a sensation. It's a psychological condition. It's a state of mind. It's the quality of one's life. Knowledge, justice, freedom, beautiful art, beautiful music, poetry, literature, all contribute to a sense of happiness, of, of living a better life. Take knowledge, for instance. You might think knowledge has no bearing on happiness. Perhaps you recite the, the silly saying, ignorance is bliss. Of course it's not. Ignorance is like sailing to uncharted waters. Disaster lurks straight ahead, usually. If you want to avoid climate change, knowledge is essential. If you want to soften the blow of a pandemic, knowledge is key. In all aspects of life, knowledge will be better than ignorance. The same can be said for justice and freedom. For the, ma the vast majority of people who live under the constraints of a totalitarian government, their personal happiness takes a big hit. And what about the, the aesthetic enjoyment of art, music, literature? Mill, and I actually, would fall back on empirical evidence. People who expose themselves to art and culture generally report a greater feeling of well-being and happiness. I don't want to open up aesthetic theories here, but try to see his point of view. I certainly experienced what he is suggesting. In high school, I was just a normal teenager listening to rock and roll, Black Sabbath and Rolling Stones, or the psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd, Genesis, yes. And then for some strange reasons, uh, tied to reading Herman Hesse's book, Magister Ludi, also known as the Glass Beat Game, I decided to learn the violin. This instrument opened me to Bach and Beethoven. I suggest, if you have any doubts about this, grab some headphones and listen closely to Bach's Double Violin Concerto, or Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. If you listen to Beethoven, remind yourself at times that when he wrote this Ninth Symphony, he was deaf. This mu music emerges from his imagination. You just might experience music on a higher plane. Bach and Beethoven can make your life richer, better, happier. Try it and see. Put Mill to the test.